This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. This is Knowledge at Wharton, and you're listening to Sirius XM 111, business radio powered by the Wharton School. Thanks for spending part of your day with us as we are with you each and every weekday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific. A little music there at the top to put us in the mood. She was one of the most attractive and sought-after actresses in the 1930s and 40s. Hedy Lamarr came from Europe and starred in dozens of very successful films in that time, including 1947's Dishonored Lady. You know, you need relaxing. Lots of relaxing. I can hear your nerves snapping like rubber bands. I'm not nervous at all, see? You're a very curious mixture. A highly moral voice. That's not me, that's my mind. A man's mind, I'd say. Why not? I do a man's work. And desperate eyes. Eyes full of shadows. Insomnia does that. Does it? What many people didn't know about Hedy Lamarr was that she had a very creative side as well. She could very easily be referred to as an early-day entrepreneur and inventor. She was one of the people who helped develop a secret communication system that was designed initially to help uh, fight World War II. And it was her work that, in part, spurred on the digital communications boom that we have seen over the last several decades. Lamarr's amazing life is profiled in a new film recently released titled Bombshell, the Hedy Lamarr story. Alexandra Dean is director of the film. She also writes about invention for Business Week, and she's the founding partner at New York City-based Reframed Pictures, and a pleasure to have her joining us right now. Alexandra, thank you for your time today. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Thank you. Uh, I guess let's start for you. What was what was the motivating factor for you to look at, at Hedy Lamarr and her career and her life? Look, this is a woman who was really playing with a full deck of cards. She had the most beautiful face. People were sing songs about that. She had this incredible mind where she was a pioneering inventor. And she had incredible bravery, really this boldness that you don't see very often in male or female. And she wanted to not just be an actress, but she wanted to change the world. She wanted to make her mark. And she wanted to be like a Louis B. Mayer or a Cecil B. DeMille, a mega, mega figure. And she struggled, really struggled to make her mark, despite all of her gifts and her powers. And I think that that struggle spoke to me. It speaks to most women today. You know, it speaks to us in this Me Too moment. It's very, very current. The inventor part is one that that, that some people know about, but I would think it's probably even now still opening a lot of eyes that that she had such an unbelievable, relatively full life outside of, of being a part of Hollywood. Yeah, it's really surprising. And our own surprise at it also tells us something, right? That this actress who was so famous for being a beautiful face, had a more brilliant mind and that her mind affects us every day. We, we use this secret communication system she designed in our cell phones and our Wi-Fi and our Bluetooth and our GPS. So the impact is enormous. Where did she, where did she get the love uh, of inventing, uh, of this, this kind of mindset that she had? She was really born with it, but she was also born into a world of Vienna between the two world wars that was uh, you know, a place in love with the mind, with philosophy, with art, and with invention. And her father, who was a banker, had this 
a real love of inventing. So the two of them would go around and look at Vienna, and she would take things apart, radios and music boxes, and put them back together again. And you know they didn't they didn't Netflix and chill. That was you know instead they they played uh, with the with the things in their household in that way for enjoyment. And she kept that relaxation uh, technique in her life. She would she would invent as a hobby as a way to kind of relax her mind. We're talking with Alexandra Dean, who is a director of the new documentary Bombshell, the Hedy Lamar story here on Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. A lot of people obviously talk about her looks and and um, what was really her relationship with her looks, because it's one thing for people on the outside to at times, I guess, fawn over her because of her view or of her appearance. But what was her view on that and, and the impact that it probably shouldn't have on society? Her view was that her beauty was a curse. You know, and sometimes I, I read Hetty saying that or hear her on her tape saying that. And even I, thought, you know, I roll a little bit because, look, this woman had enormous power with her beauty. Obviously, uh, she was on the face. She was the cover of every magazine when she was a big star. And that, you know, gave her big power in Hollywood. It, it's what allowed her to escape the Nazis. So for her, it was really a double-edged sword as far as I'm concerned. It was the you know ultimate double-edged sword. She had massive power. It also cut her very deeply as she aged and she lost that beauty. She felt that it became a straitjacket for her. Face became a straitjacket because people would not allow her to stop being beautiful without pouring ridicule and sort of vitriol on her. She also had, uh, from what I understand, a a, a pretty uh, important. Uh, working relationship or, or conversations with Howard Hughes on a variety of different things, mm. correct? Mm. Yeah, she had this. She had a relationship with Howard Hughes, a romantic relationship. Yeah. She was with him uh, for two different periods. She dated him. And while they were dating, he apparently took her to his invention uh, area within the airplane hangars where he was inventing these new kinds of fast airplanes. And apparently he would do this with a lot of starlets. He would take them to these impressive areas of his hangers and say, you know, talk to any of my inventors. And I think it was just a way to impress women. And Hetty, she took him up on it. She investigated what he was doing. She talked to all of the people working for him, and she started working with some of them. He actually gave her apparently two chemists to work on an invention with this cola cube that she wanted to develop for the armed forces so that they could have a cola in, you know, in country. And, and she worked with him, according to her, on swept wings for airplanes. What, what's interesting is that, at least in some of the work that she did, uh, especially on, on the uh, communication side, uh, really her involvement uh, in, in this really wasn't seen or viewed for, for quite a few decades after, after she was involved in this, like basically the 80s and 90s, uh, mm-hmm. when it really started to, to come to the forefront that she had actually been on the early stages of this. Yeah. Yes, this is the really sad part of the story. She did this huge, incredible thing, and she knew she knew it was a groundbreaking invention. She gave it to the Navy. The Navy really shelved it, really put it aside. Um, people ask me all the time, could it have changed the course of World War II? It's hard to know, but she did. The application of the invention at the time was this incredible remote control torpedo that could hunt down Nazi wolf packs, those, those terrifying submarines in the Atlantic with deadly accuracy. So it could have potentially in, in some universe changed the course of World War II. And the Navy didn't see that. They didn't see its potential. They didn't see that she was this great inventor. They, they slammed 
um, this this invention into a cabinet and didn't pull it out until, as far as we know, the mid-50s when they gave it to some, some freelance engineers working for them on various different Navy and Air Force and Army um, inventions. And, and she, it's that way it came out into the world. And, and she was not uh, compensated for this, correct? No, she wasn't compensated at all. We're talking with Alexander Dean, who is the director of the film Bombshell, the Hedy Lamar story. Uh, when when you think back of of all this work that you have done uh, in preparing this film and looking at her uh, at her life, uh, both uh, in Hollywood and and post Hollywood, what do you think the perception is of her by the public in general? Today, the perception of her is totally fragmented. It's this fascinating thing. It depends on your generation, on your background, how you know Eddie Lamar. Um, there is a generation that now knows her first and foremost as an inventor, and that makes me really happy. But a lot of the country still knows her for her beautiful face, for being on the big screen, for her scandals. She had arrests in her life. She was the first woman to do an orgasm on screen uh, yeah. for being a spy, because there's still a rumor out there that she stole this technology. So she has all of these different reputations. And the big challenge for me in making this film was pulling all of these different women together into one person that people would really relate to and, and understand. And some of this, uh, from what I understand, involved conversations she had with the journalist Fleming Meeks, correct? Yes, yes. Six months into making this film, we were desperate to find her voice and her response to some of these questions, and we didn't have it. Uh, she was a, she was completely reclusive at the end of her life, and didn't want to tell people the story. And so we searched you know, far and wide, and we were lucky enough to find out that Fleming Meeks, this reporter in 1990, had recorded four different conversations with her on the phone, and had these old cassette tapes from that time just in some shoe boxes around his office. And that really created the backbone for our film. We threw out the film we were making and started again. Part of the reason why she was uh, a recluse uh, towards the end of her life uh, was, going back to uh, the looks, what was her concern about her looks. And I guess she was also uh, uh, involved quite a bit with, with plastic surgery towards the end of her mm -hmm. life, correct? Yes, that's right. She She was a pioneer in every way. That's one of the things we find so fascinating about her. But she even pioneered forms of plastic surgery in an attempt to keep her looks and keep really that power that she associated with her looks. And when that plastic surgery was botched, she withdrew more and more from the world. It was also just the general cruelty she felt in the world at the time. And so she, she pulled further and further away, even from her family, even her friends. She just communicated with the world via telephone. What's interesting, and we're going to play a little clip here uh, from the Merv Griffin Show, uh, and this, I guess, was around 1969, of an interview she did with Merv Griffin, and Woody Allen was the, the co-host on that show. Listen to this piece, and we'll talk about it in a second. Now, do you want me to tell you what your image is? Yeah. It's a, a, a glamorous, beautiful, uh, uh, internationally known star who uh, obviously rides in limousines and has great jewels and, and you don't scrub your kitchen floors. I don't like that, no. But tell me more. I but, never lived that way. Isn't that what it's all about? No. Not to me. I guess in the image it is. But, you know, I'm serious. What's your image to you? So I, I hear that, and I, I hear a woman that was incredibly grounded. And obviously, kind of going back to what we were talking about before, there's this perception that the media and Hollywood put out. But 
realistically, she was grounded in the things that she did and the life that she led. Yes, she had this life of the mind, and it wasn't something anybody expected in her. So you can see in those you know, media appearances how she's trying to juggle the two things, the, the expectation of her and the reality. You mentioned uh, about the fact that uh, she had done uh, some, uh, at the time, what would be, I guess, very racy scenes in, in Hollywood. The movie Ecstasy, she did a, a nude scene, although she said that it was shot uh, separately uh, with uh, her doing one piece and then an actor being brought in later. Just explain the, the impact of that in the film industry. It was like Kim Kardashian's sex tape, you know, <laughs> it had this huge uh, impact on her career. She became world famous overnight, but she was a scandal. She was branded a scandal from day one. And even the Pope banned it, uh, Hitler banned it. You know, the Justice League here in the United States condemned it. Uh, it was it was worldwide condemnation. But actually, it's a beautiful film. If you watch it today, it doesn't seem scandalous at all. It's an art house film. It has, you know, stood the test of time. It doesn't have many words. Uh, and I, I actually loved it. And there's a lot of it in, in Bombshell. And I guess she also was was very much someone uh, who not only uh, obviously worked in the film industry, but I guess loved being behind the camera a little bit as well. You know, she was so upset by the way that she was treated in Hollywood by Louis B. Mayer and by other producers that she eventually gave up trying to convince them to give her better roles or to challenge her more. And she went off to try and make her own films. And that was really, really groundbreaking in 1946. The only other person who did that was Betty Davis. And Betty Davis didn't do it successfully then. Only Hetty was, you know, moderately successful. So that's, you know, another way in, in which she was completely boundary-breaking. You mentioned before about about the impact that uh, that uh, her innovative side has uh, even had today. Uh I, I hope that's a story that through your film will be told even more today because of the fact that we are in such a digital culture that we live right now. And as you mentioned, some of what she did with some of this technology back in the day is vital. It's crucial to what we live with today. Mm, it's in everything that we use. So she's a real heroine of invention. And the reason that I, I made the film in the first place was because I was working on this series, Innovators for Bloomberg Television, and I was made aware that the number of women going into these films, fields of invention and STEM in general has been declining since the 80s. It was at about 30%. Now we're headed down to 20%. What is going on? And this is such an important field because invention is the way we shape our world. We, we make the world that we live in. And, you know, so many young women seem to think that's not their role for whatever reason. And that makes me really sad. I think it, that the world is it loses something when only one kind of person invents it. And so that's one of the reasons that I wanted to bring Bombshell to the screen so that people would look at this woman and go, oh, she could do it all. And what an impact she made with her mind, so much bigger than the one she made with this famous face. What do you really hope that the message of the film is? I hope the message is the message that Hetty leaves people with at the end, which is from this poem she, she's memorized that she loves. And it's do it anyway, even if you feel that you are kicked in the teeth, even if you feel that you are not given applause for your greatest achievements, that they're never recognized fully for what they are. She is saying, do it anyway. It doesn't matter because when you're on your deathbed, as she was when she was reciting this poem, when you look back at your life, what will matter is what you attempted to do to make your mark on the world, not how people received it. 
It, it is interesting that uh, that that is the way that the film ends when you think about uh, our society today and and all that is going on. And, and we are seeing much stronger women having uh, more important roles in a variety of different areas around the United States, even though, as you mentioned, there are still issues in the in the STEM fields. It, it's almost like if she were alive today, she could be uh, to a degree, I think, a transformative person because of the abilities that she had in terms of development of technology and, and thought of mind and, and to a degree leadership as well. You know, I worry that she still would have struggles. I worry that she would go to Silicon Valley and look for funding and maybe wouldn't be taken very seriously. Um, we, we need to examine our society today. We need to, one, you know, really ask why uh, it is so, so difficult for women to succeed in Silicon Valley because so much of our future is being shaped there. From what I understand, uh, the, the film is getting very good reviews, and, and uh, not that you know this is linked to the film, but when you work on a project like this and, and it is seen as as a great work, what does that mean for you? Oh, it means a tremendous amount to me. You know, uh, we're, it's, it's the same theme we, we've been talking about through this whole conversation. There are only four percent of directors are women. Um, of that four percent of directors. Only 20% ever get to make a second film. Um, so you're having a voice being heard in the, you know in this world where it's so hard for women to do so is incredibly moving. And and my great hope is that I get another shot. Do you hope that we, that we are at a transformative time in Hollywood right now uh, because of the successes of some women as directors, but also because of, of some of the stuff that we have obviously been seeing in the news and hopeful that we are going to see a greater shift away from kind of wh what has been the norm in Hollywood over the, over the decades? You know, I go up and down between hope and despair because, you know, we, we are seeing these wonderful works coming out from women. 30% of the films and film festivals this year are women. But at the same time, I think female directors were really overlooked in the Oscar nominations this year. I can't understand why Greta Gerwig isn't up for Best Director with the first film to ever be um, given 100% on Rotten Tomatoes out in theaters right now. Um, I don't understand. Um, I don't understand why so much of the programming about women and what we're going through right now is being given to male companies, including Morgan Spurlock's. When Morgan Spurlock has come out yesterday and called himself. Um, you know, rapist, at least according to the victim, yeah. and, and and a serial harasser. So, what what is going on? Why why can't we actually break through here? Why aren't women actually being recognized? I don't know. The, we're talking with Alexandra Dean, who is the uh, director of the film Bombshell, the Hedy Lamar story. Uh, you're listening to Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. But because of, of what Hedy Lamar had done in a variety of these uh, these different realms with, with her mind and her thought process and, and invention, uh, she does lay down uh, kind of an unbelievable piece of history in the technology realm and hopefully it's one that that will continue to be brought forward in a variety of different ways obviously your film but hopefully there are other venues that that this story can be brought forward as well yes hopefully this story will continue to echo through the culture obviously the impact in part of her making the developments on this communication system back were driven by the fact that that her family was impacted by the nazis in world war ii Yes, her family was Jewish, and that was something that Hetty had to cover up when she came to Hollywood. But she grew up Jewish. Her father was from a shtetl, 
And he actually died in the run-up to World War II when all of his assets and everything was taken away from him because of his religion. And he ended up working in the factory of uh, a fascist collaborator who was actually making weapons that would be used against the Jews. He had a heart attack from, from the stress. And Hetty, when she got to Hollywood, was told, you are not going to be Jewish anymore. We've rewritten your history. You're, you're going to have been brought up Catholic. And she had to kind of toe that line. Howard Strickland rewrote her biography. But didn't she also marry somebody that, was, I guess, was in the arms industry for a while? She married that guy who employed her father. Yeah. It was a it was a move for self-preservation for herself and also for her family. Um, she married him, but he was... I mean, horror of horrors. He was actually Jewish himself. He was half Jewish. And he was um, making arms for Hitler and Mussolini and uh, and in the end would have to flee them himself because they put his own father in a concentration camp. Fantastic work, Alexander. Thank you very much for giving us a few minutes of your time. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. 